Howdy Partner, and welcome to Tom Hanks Giving. What's happening? There's a switch. Oh my god! If you throw it, half the people. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Inferno trailer! I just found this! What's going on? Oh my god, let me put a stop to this real quick. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, my apologies, please. Without. Okay, so, I'm your host, Elvis Kunish. <laughs> and today on the show we're talking about the 2006 Ron Howard film The Da Vinci Code uh, Adapted from the Dan Brown novel of 2003, bestseller, all that good stuff uh, Or it, First it, we did it uh, in celebration of Paul Bettany being in Civil War He's in this movie, so a little Civil War celebration tie-in And uh, also today, the day before this podcast drops, so this is Monday before now the Inferno trailer dropped, and what you just heard just kind of was a little piece of that. Before we get to the episode, we're going to real quick talk about the teaser trailer for Inferno. So if you haven't seen that, go watch that really quickly, and then come back and we'll have our thoughts, and then we'll get into the Da Vinci Code. Uh, but Andy's here to join me. Yeah. Andy Green, and uh, we literally just watched, <laughs> and then it started to take over the intro here. Um, the, the virus is spreading. Yes! Oh my god! Inferno! <laughs> what did you think? Tom Hanks, we always knew it. Humanity's last hope. That's what they said! He's humanity's last hope! I'm freaking out! Like, we're not... I mean, I don't want to ruin this discussion, but, like, Divinity Code's like a little whatever. <laughs> Holy shit, I'm into this movie! It does not seem like a Tom Hanks film. Felicity Jones is in it! Felicity like Jones? And My crush, Tom Hanks? The hair is gone. He's got good better hair. hair. Wow, yeah. better hair. <laughs> we see hell on his face in a... Like, yeah, it's got like Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it looks like... That's Inferno in the title. <laughs> right. It looks like a natural evolution of this dimension. Granted, I still haven't seen Angels and Demons, and now that this is coming out of this trailer, I'm all for you it. jump on there? Yeah. <laughs> I'm jump on it. Uh, this does not change any how I feel about Da Vinci Code in any way, but I am more interested in continuing this very bizarre series with kind of... Because it kind of looks way more ballsy than the Da Vinci Code. Uh, this seems way more action. Movie. Yeah, there's a switch that will kill all of humanity. It seems half like half of humanity. Half, yes. Or which all everybody of dies. Years. Sophie's choice. It is Sophie's choice, and apparently it comes down to Tom Hanks. And I can't think of a better person to give that responsibility to. I I give him my life, and, and I put my life in his hands. My life is almost always in his hands because that's all I have. Is <laughs> Tom Hanks? That's not true, but. I am very excited for Inferno, <laughs> if only to discuss it, because again, I, you're going to hear about what my thoughts are uh, on the Da Vinci Code. Any uh, final thoughts on the teaser, Andy? Ron Howard! Ron Howard! All right. He's back. He's back, and so is Hanks, and uh, we'll be talking about that months from now, <laughs> but uh, for, we, wanted, we wanted to get a little uh, trailer action. All Best right. movie this summer. You heard it here first. It's in October, <laughs> but okay. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thanks for this little trailer upfront action. Let's get into the Da Vinci Code. So we're here today with uh, Jacob Reed. Hello. Of uh, Bangering at UCB and the Before You Were Funny podcast. Yes. Uh, those are two things I'm proud to be associated with. Well, great. I'm glad. I'm very happy. The, the way I said that was like <laughs> as if we had had this whole conversation before where you're like, can I plug this? And I'm like, no, man, that's behind me. Can I plug this? 
No, I'm not really doing that anymore. Like, yeah, but those are the, yeah, those are the only two things we ever talked about. A lot of shame in Jacob's past, apparently. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of, yeah. A lot of shame in our our movie today, potentially. Uh, We're talking about The Da Vinci Code. And uh, when I posed you to be on the show, this was the this was kind of your number one choice. Yeah, unequivocally, I wanted to do this movie, and I'm so glad that it was available. It feels like a movie that like should really only be watched on TV in the background and or uh, like on a flight or something. Well, well, I actually have a funny story about that, but I'll hold that for a minute. Um, I'll, I'll do respect to everyone who had anything to do with this movie. <laughs> Including Brian Grazer, who I had a real awkward moment with at my uh, film school graduation. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Holy <laughs> shit! Uh, I forgot he was he was involved in this movie. Of course, he's Ron Howard's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. best buds. Of course. So I read the book for this my freshman year of college, which was two thousand three, two thousand four. So I was reading it, and I remember like that's when the book was like this phenomenon, where like every it was like bestseller. Everyone was reading it. Uh, it's not his first book, and it's not his first book with. Um, yeah, Angels uh, and Demons is like a prequel, correct? Uh, yeah, or yeah, maybe yeah. this is the prequel, but that came out first. Angels and Demons, and then this, and then the new one that's coming something out. Something else, and then Inferno. Inferno's coming out in October. They're making the Inferno movie. Yeah. Oh boy. He got his hair cut too. Well, thank God. I know. <laughs> it's like the I, was. Is that his real hair? I. It, it would not surprise me if it was a wig. It, it. It would surprise me if it was not a wig. I feel like it. it if this it's is, if it's not a wig, it's the most real hair has ever looked like a wig, <laughs> like ever. Well, it def- the the front definitely looks real. I don't know what's going on with the back. I w- was reading it. And I was like a staunch defender I- I- when no one was attacking the book, but I was like, it's actually pretty good. And I will to this day say that Dan Brown books are actually pretty good. If you need like beach reading, or I actually read Inferno uh, maybe like a year ago. Uh, they're just like. I feel like they're like the adult versions of like uh, Goosebumps or like some kind of book where it's it's like I can see built that. to be a page turner. Mm-hmm. Every single chapter is like six pages and ends with like, <laughs> and then there was a shadow. And you're like, well, what was the shadow? And you flip over to see it and it's like, it was Monsieur whatever. And it's like, oh, that guy? All right, whatever. <laughs> and then you keep reading and then there's another, like every... Every chapter ends with like a potential plot twist, and you have to. It, it's, yes, it's like a fun popcorny kind of page turner, which would make you think the movie would be too. But that's another story. Um, the reason that I felt like I had to, I had to talk about this movie is that I'm a great admirer of Tom Hanks, and um, he's fine in this movie. Uh, this movie is just—it's so. I don't even know. I was gonna say it's so bad, but it's not so bad because I rewatched it, and the first. I guess I just have a lot to say about it. That's no, that, yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about that's this. That's good. Movie. Sorry, I, I, that was the longest version of that answer I could have had. No, because we got a lot to talk about with this okay. movie. Because here's the thing: I, 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 I'm gonna get into. I have kind of seen this movie before, but I'm gonna hold off on that for a little bit. Okay. Uh, but this is essentially the first time I've ever seen it front to back. Oh, what a treat! And uh, I actually maybe was, I went in with low expectations, but I kind of liked it. Like, yeah, I don't wouldn't say it was. Good, but I don't think it was that bad. Like it was kind well, of a goofy, fun movie. When you go on with low expectations, it's it's really fun. I also think that the first half to two thirds is not is not bad. I, I rewatched it recently because I um I had to make something where like uh, someone's figuring something out and symbols come off of something. <laughs> 
And I was like, how did they do that? The reference I always had was Beautiful Mind, and I looked it up, and that's actually a really boring sequence. Again, apologies to Ron Howard. I think, Ooh, he's, I think he's, that, he's taking it on the chin this I podcast. Think that, I think that Ron Howard is like the kind of director, and I haven't seen some of his earliest films, which are supposedly his best ones. Splash. I haven't seen Splash. Splash is amazing! I, I haven't seen Splash. I haven't seen Backdraft. He seems like a wonderful guy. The Grinch? Yeah, that was, that was pretty rough. <laughs> I like this movie more than The Grinch, I think. Yeah, that's for sure. Although the aesthetic of The Grinch hangs together way yeah, more cohesively. It's fun. It's fun. Um, I, yeah, anyway, so so I, I looked that up and that was uninteresting. And so I was like, oh, in Da Vinci Code they do it. So I watched the whole movie just to see how they have like the scenes where, where the things are graphics. glowing and coming off of things. And the first, the first like 30, 45 minutes... I was blown away by how fun it was based on, like, compared to what I remember. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of totally falls apart at the end. I got, yeah, I want to talk about the ending. And actually, let's let's go ahead and start there. Okay. Because um, I kind of agree with you, and I don't know if it's maybe because, again, low expectations, and I just saw it, so I haven't had that time yeah. to be like, wait, no, that was stupid. Why do you think the ending, or the, the last fourth of the movie, uh, as you were kind of saying earlier does suffer and it, it like screeches to a halt so so the end is like they go to the castle and they find out that like that sh- that she's the you know offspring of Jesus and mm-hmm. it, it just feels like when you have a mystery it's like the same page turner effect as like the book you you get excited about it and you're like oh it could be this it could be this oh what's it gonna be and then when you actually find out what it is it's like oh that all right it. yeah and and I also think it's weird that like uh, I well, do you think is he the protagonist of this movie or is she the protagonist? When of this I was movie? watching the movie, that was actually in my head. I was watching it and it felt to compare it to a much better film. It sort of felt like Mad Max Fury Road, where uh, Tom Hanks, uh, Robert Langdon is the like not the protagonist, but he's our intro character. We're following mm-hmm. him. Uh, he's maybe the audience surrogate, but it's actually her movie. Yeah, because she's the one who finds out all the all the things. Obviously, she's the one who's the spawn of Jesus. Um, <laughs> she's in the bloodline. He doesn't really go through that many changes. He kind of gets over his he doesn't go through any change his claustrophobia thing. But that is again more of an effect of her potentially oh, divine yeah, I intervention. About that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought was fine because that again I always thought like again you read the book so yeah. you, you, thank goodness you're the expert here <laughs> but it felt like his character makes more sense in a book yeah. how did it work there he's, was he the main character in the book yeah he's for sure the main character in the books and and each book he's kind of like a um kind of like a boring James Bond or like a yeah. boring Indiana Jones in a way <laughs> like each book is like he kind of has a Kind of has, like, a romance with someone else, but it's, like, very tame. Super happy that this was not played romantic for most of the movie. Well, that's the other thing is, yeah, the age difference is, like, weird. And, 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 and honestly, that's another problem with it is, like, I would feel better about it if there if it was romantic the whole time or if it wasn't romantic. Yeah, it time. doesn't feel sure-footed enough. I, but, like, what made me happy was the very, was the ending. It's, like... Are they going to do the kiss? And they kind of half do it with a kiss in the forehead. I was like, I could have gone without that. Yeah. It felt very fatherly, though, and that's kind of what yeah. I got from their relationship, or at least it's what I wanted it to be, but... I don't remember if they kiss in the book, but I feel like I I, I could imagine that being like a, a Hanks thing where he's like, you know, doesn't feel totally appropriate to kiss her on the lips. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a significant age difference here. I don't know if... 
that is something and, I want to push. And Hanks isn't the kind of movie star we generally want to see that from. We want him to go for someone his own age, uh, a Meg yeah. Ryan or a oh, Shelley God. Long. Yeah. This is sort of something I talked about in the Cloud Atlas podcast, where, where you, when you put Tom Hanks in a movie, he's a fantastic actor, and he's got a very big range, but I don't think it's a he can do anything actor. Uh, he's good in everything, but he can't do anything in the sense like I think the closer you get to fantasy or science fiction, mm-hmm. that's where he starts to falter because he's so much a regular dude. And that's why he reads to me as like just this guy who's not the main character in this movie. He's just kind of along for the ride. I mean, and I would have liked it more if he was just a guy who was like haplessly along for the ride. Those were the best parts of this movie, I thought. Yeah. Um, but I think the problem is that they kind of dilute her agency and make him, because he's the one who brings him over to Magneto's right. house, and then that whole hour-long right. sequence starts. Yeah, that's the first, uh, what's that guy's name, T-Bing? Uh, uh, yeah, T, I don't know, I just call the him The character's name is Gandalf. T-Bing, but yeah, 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 McKellen's character. Um, it, it just starts out feeling like a murder mystery, and an adventure film, and a heist, and it's in Europe, and it's like, it starts out fun. The one, yeah, no, I, I think the one thing that bothered me about the beginning was, like, the only thing that I was thinking about was, like, wait, why, th- th- I feel like this is happening very quickly, like, she just showed up and knew immediately that they had to right. be set together, but, like, you know, I was fine with it, because it was fun, but, yeah, I think you're right that it just, well, I think it suffers from, like, three kind of climaxes, because there's yep. the thing in the church where they break uh, the map, and right. Magneto gets arrested, and then... Right. Oh, wait, no, and then they find out where it is, and then she's gone, but then she finds her whole family. A, uh, what's his face? Cloves? Is this him? No, this Akiva. is Akiva Goldsman. Yeah. Who's the other guy? Steve Cloves? I, I don't I think that's a guy. There's a, there's a guy who, like, every time a movie has, like, totally peters out in the third act, I'm like, oh, it's that same guy. Not this guy this time. Yeah. Though. Um, but yeah, so they, there's the, the Magneto ending, and then there's the, the family ending where they <laughs> find her former place. <laughs> And then, uh, and then he gets an ending, his own, like, that's the only reason, another reason why it's like, oh, is it Robert's movie? Because he has that last little bit where he finds right. out, theoretically, well, but the movie, the movie doesn't even leave it ambiguous because we do see Beneath the Soil and she's buried there right. uh, when he finds where Megary Magdalene actually is buried, which I thought that was kind of neat because it's like, oh, we introduce it in the first five minutes. Um, right. Uh, but in, it was kind of neat in that, oh, it's that neat reveal and not like actually meaningful yeah it feels like a movie that and i i wish i remembered the book better because I'm, I'm curious how much it deviates but it, it just feels like the kind of movie that got a lot of notes like there's like everyone it just feels like it, it kind of goes an inch in a lot of different directions mm-hmm. instead of like a mile in one direction um plug for my favorite band one direction uh that's a joke i don't I don't have anything against that. Outro music this week is going to be One Direction. Shit. I think the fundamental reason why this movie... Again, and I'm coming from the the uh, angle that I kind of liked it. I I had a (laughs) decent time. I don't don't hate it. I don't think it's that bad. I think there's been a lot worse. Cloud Atlas. Um, But, uh, although, in Cloud Atlas's defense, I feel like Cloud Atlas tried something more. This was just kind of safe. Yeah. it's It's very National Treasure. Um, I love National Treasure <laughs> in comparison to this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, like if this, if this, because uh, National Treasure is not a great movie, but it, it's it's um, it just kind of owns up to what it is and has a good time. That and this 
feels like it starts doing that, and then it's like, well, but what? But we, it's got to be thinky also. It gets like, very lofty, and yeah. I think that's maybe what because like once the last real clue they find is um, the the codex thing. Yep. And then the movie, there's no more clues, but we have at least two hours left of the movie. Because they got to yeah. go to Ian McKellen's house. He has to do that amazing South Park scene about the Easter Bunny. <laughs> but the problem is, like, we don't find any more clues. We're stuck on that one clue. And I was like, this right. is taking so long. And, like, the information he provides once they finally get there, he could have told them that without the clue. It's not like they right. needed that. Right. So that always kind of bugged me. And then maybe the motivation's more clear on a second viewing for why he's doing this. I think the fundamental reason why this doesn't work as well as the book is, and as well as some other mystery Mm -hmm. movies, is because you can't solve the mystery with the characters. Like, I remember watching those scenes where he's, like, Mm -hmm. pulling out the acronyms and stuff, and it's like... He's just... It's literally... Telling us, not showing. Us. Yeah, you're you're watching him do the fun thing. Like you can't. Right. It's like it almost felt like uh, it should be a puzzle game, like a video game would be right. a great adaptation for this. Well, there's like that thing where they say about the difference between mystery and suspense, where mystery is when your characters know something that you don't. Uh, suspense is when you know something that the characters don't. Right. The and, bomb under the table. Right. Exactly. And so this movie is kind of like. Uh, it starts off kind of a mystery because some characters know something that we don't, but we don't know who those characters are. Like, it's just kind of, we are all in the dark about something. But then there's never any, I mean, I'm sure there's some scenes where, like, yeah, something happens suspenseful where we know about it a little bit before then, but, it, like, great mysteries um, seem to, and I wish I could think of examples right now, but seem to transition uh, at about the halfway or two-thirds point where to suspense it's, yeah it's a, like like great hitchcock movies like start out a little mysterious and then as the characters get into hot water then we start putting it together before they do and and then the fun of it is watching them hang in peril while we have just a little bit more information than they do like that's what makes it like oh like that's what like when you want to yell at the screen like to get grace kelly out of the apartment in rear window uh but in this movie it's kind of like, we don't know anything. And then once we arrive at, at Sir, Sir Teabing, uh, the, the uh, first-rate performance by Sir Ian McKellen, according to the DVD. We're going to talk about that, actually. Yeah, uh, I have some issues with that <coughs> description of it. Um, not to just be snarky, but... Uh, <laughs> that, that, well, that, whatever, we'll come back to that. Um, but yeah, then, then you get to that part where the, he outlines everything, and it's never... It isn't really suspenseful because you're either 100% in the dark or or everything's really obvious. I think, yeah, and we kind of said this earlier with the where how we don't know who the main character of the movie mm-hmm. is. I, I think this is, again, a problem of, like, not making a strong decision in that yeah. it should either be, by the end of the movie, we know it's we're in suspense mode where we have more information on the characters and we're like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Are they going to figure yes, it out? Yes. Or they have to commit to, but they don't do that because they withhold information still till the very, very end. Right. But it's not in the fun playing it fair way where the audience can figure it out before the characters. Right, or they treat you like you're super dumb, like the scene where they... Oh, where they, uh, uh, they're landing the plane, and then the uh, Jean Renault and, and all the... Or, or, no, he's not in it. That, yeah, that he didn't it's, show up. It's uh, the, the London police. The London police, exactly. Come in, and they're like trying to get him out of there, and he acts like an old man. They're trying to get Ian McKellen out of the plane, and he acts like an old man. And then, uh, you know, as soon as that scene is... Literally, <laughs> as soon as that scene is over, 
when you're like, oh, I wonder how they did that. They, like, they go back. Have you ever seen the show Leverage? Yeah, I was actually going to write, it was like the lamest uh, yes. Ocean's Eleven trick. Yes. So, so Leverage is a show on TNT that is, it's great for what it is. It's a very, it's like lame Ocean's Eleven, but it's it's great. It's I like any. I like, like every mo- every episode's a heist or something like that. Every right? episode's a heist. That's great, and uh, uh, it's got a fun cast of, of you know all kind of second tier, uh, you know le- less famous, not not in terms of ability, less famous actors. But it's a TV show on TNT that's made fairly affordably, I imagine. Uh, and this scene in uh, Da Vinci Code feels like an episode of that show because what happens in every episode of that show is like something happens. It's like, well, how did they do that? And then immediately after, they show you, here's how they did it. And like they just reveal the entire thing and they literally do that as if it's like, yeah, as if it's Bad Ocean's Eleven in this movie. Yeah. But this like a second after, oh, yeah. And th- those are parts about this movie I hate. It's it, it, and the, uh, again, where like the comparison to Leverage, that's a whole show where that's that's based around the gimmick. This is the one time they do that sort of thing, right. and I think they even use the the same aesthetic, like as the flashbacks yes. for people's memories, which is another thing I'm, I'm guessing would play a lot better in the book because you have the pacing of a book mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, we can just take a whole chapter out to transition into Audrey Tato's uh, memories and like, yeah. talk about the color of the flowers that will become important later. Yeah, um, yeah I, it's got a lot of problems, but... Uh, I feel bad snarking on it, too, because I, I, something I've been thinking about a lot recently is how uh, it's hard to make things. It's very it's hard. It's really hard These, to make things. This, I would be so proud if I made this. Yeah, it's hard to make things that are bad. Uh, it's a lot of work and a lot of follow-through to make things that are bad, and it, it's incredibly more so when things are decent and it seems impossible to make anything good. Even like really talented people I know have been involved in a lot of stuff that it, it that doesn't represent their talent as well as it could it could maybe. And rarely are the great things like any fun to make. So even if like you right. come out the other side, it's like that was the worst experience <laughs> in my life. Yeah, so I think like I've just been thinking a lot about uh like I read this uh <laughs> I forget the name of the guy which is shitty. Uh, but the, this the guy who wrote the whole thing about in response to Huffington Post's uh, takedown of uh, Force Awakens. Have you read that? I, I have I'll not. Try to find it and uh, plug I was it. Not, I was not a huge fan of Force Awakens. I liked it. Yeah, kind of, so, kind of about like the same with this movie. Yeah. So so <laughs> I I liked Force Awakens, but I went in real low expectations, and it didn't. My girlfriend's not a Star Wars person, really. Uh, she, like. I tried to get her to watch the three original movies before we saw Force Awakens, and like it didn't happen. Like that's mm. to give you an idea. Yeah, that's. Um, a, yeah, I mean, she doesn't have to I'll watch them now. Yeah. Well, so I <laughs> she, after Force Awakens, she was like, "Was it everything you hoped for?" And I was like, "Yeah, it didn't have to be amazing. It just had to not be terrible, and it wasn't terrible. It was really, it was really fun." But long story short, uh, Huffington Post wrote this article that was like, you know, everything wrong with the Force Awakens, or some semblance of that. And this guy uh, wrote his review of The Force Awakens and instead just took down the Huffington Post article. And it was all about how we have this culture of snarkiness that, like, removes the joy from things. And I think that that's really true. Yes, and they, they actually did the same thing. There was a takedown of the CinemaSins videos. Have you seen mm-hmm. this? It's, I've uh, seen the CinemaSins video. I haven't seen this takedown. The takedown is great because it points out how, uh, well, glib most of the CinemaSins mm-hmm. things are and how... 
I think much, much the same as this Huffington Post article uh, must have been is just it's based on taking the fun and meaning out of like a movie and like sure a movie can be bad but like these aren't the reasons it's bad right and by pointing out sim- single st- oh that was stupid that's stupid his hair is dumb uh, like that doesn't do anything for yeah. the discussion of the movie or getting better and there's even in the worst of movies uh, you can find something to learn from it. You can take something yeah. away from it. Uh, even if that's just, oh, maybe no, don't do this in your movie. Um, <laughs> but, uh, or put Jean Reno in everything and more of him. Yeah. Right? To me, he's like the best part of this whole movie. He's great. Uh, I don't know if I'd say he's the best part. I mean, okay. this is the Tom Hanks giving <laughs> But, uh... This is good. Hanks is good. Let's, uh, let's move on to okay. some performances. So, let's talk about Hanks. Yeah. Uh, this, this feels like very much... As a movie, it's I don't know if, did it come out in summer I don't know but it, it, the the pulpy movie of the season okay. everybody goes for yep. the popcorn and yep. it's fun and then you leave and it's fine yeah I feel like his performance is like a a step above that but a, he's basically doing a workman performance here okay he's I would not agree with putting that. his all into it except for one or two scenes that I I really enjoy how do you feel about him well. I kind of feel like he was miscast. That is probably very true. And uh, this doesn't feel like a Hanks movie. It doesn't. Or a Hanks role, probably because he, again, we don't know if he's the main character. I right. think it's mostly an underwritten thing. And even still, they're about to make the third one, which is crazy to me. I, yeah, I'm excited just because this is going to be a fun journey to go down, whether it's good or it improves. Do you know the plot of Inferno? I don't know the plot of it's, uh, that or Angels and Demons. Uh, Angels and Demons is like kind of the same. I mean, the, the formula, like the movie plays out or the, the book plays out the same as Da Vinci Code. It's just the twist at the end is like there's basically a, a um, like it's not an atom bomb, but it's like a, a dark matter explosion that they explode the Vatican. And I think they actually do it <laughs> at the end of Angels and Demons in the book. I don't remember. I don't think they do it in the movie. Um, but I also could be totally wrong about that. I don't remember. Uh, but in, in Inferno, uh, without spoiling it, the plot is like kind of the end of all civilization, but then, uh, you end up rooting for the guy who's trying to end civilization. (laughs) That's how, if that... If they can pull that that's off, that what sounds I'm, insane. Yeah, that's I want to watch that movie. I don't want to spoil it, uh, but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty dark. And it, uh, I, reading it after reading these other Dan Brown books, I was like, "Whoa, this is this is crazy." Uh, and it, it does. It gets it, it makes the argument for uh, like insane population control. Wow. Uh, I my, really want to see how Ron Howard tackles that. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh but okay, so 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 Tom Hanks miscast. Yeah, I just I don't know who that should have been. I love Tom Hanks. I'd like to see him in in almost anything. It just doesn't feel like it just never felt like he was this character. Well, that's not true. It did feel like he was this character to me because he's good enough that, like, I believed that he was this guy, but this guy that he was playing, I didn't believe should have the adventure he was having. No, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, that comes more down to less about his performance, more about the, the writing of the character. He's kind of split protagonist, so he doesn't have a full story. 
but because it's Hanks, he gives it enough gravitas that you kind of go with it. At least right. until the movie's foundation maybe falls apart toward the end. Well, and, and I think that there are... I think there are a lot of authors out there. Uh, and so, okay, so I, I read uh, or I listen to audiobooks when I swim sometimes. Um, and I try to pick out audiobooks that are just like basically garbage so that I can just kind of like, you know, I might go swim like once a week. So like I'll, I'll quote, read, unquote, these books for like an hour a week, put them down, pick them up, like kind of not be able to remember exactly what was going on. Um, David Baldacci is an author that I really like for that kind of stuff. And I think that there are characters that are written purposefully uh, vague in these books. Like, I think the main characters are just kind of like whatever, so that you, as a reader, uh, bring your own thing to it, so that they're more palatable for like, uh, you know, what, what we sometimes might call like middle America which is a little pejorative, but, like, people who aren't... Nobody in Middle America is listening to this podcast. That could be true. Uh, Although people in Middle America love Tom Hanks. And that's why I think he makes sense in this role from, like, a a production standpoint. But, like, there are these characters that are just, like... I don't know if there's that much to the character. I think what you're trying... It's kind of like the Twilight Syndrome, where the main character in uh, the, the Twilight books, Bella Swan, is, like, known for being, like, completely boring and blank slatey so you can put like or like the 14 year old girls because i haven't read it certainly (laughs) um can put their own personalities into that and then indulge in the relationships and here with these mystery novels it's like we make him kind of a boring character so you can be right so you you can you can be he's your vessel character which is kind of what we were saying earlier with like is he the main character is he just along for the ride and the audience surrogate right and again i Tom Hanks is the perfect everyman. I guess that's the reason you cast him. I get that. So he's not miscast, just a bad character? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think, like... He's like a Band-Aid actor in this movie. And I hate to say yes, that, because... he's very talented. He's so much better than yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it's kind of like... Um, I, I guess if you're directing or if you're writing this kind of a movie, you have to, like... You're probably in a tough spot, because I think you have to really take some liberty with the character to make it interesting for a film audience. But at the same time, this was, you know, a really popular book series, or at least the, this one was a really popular book. And I kind of feel like you, you don't want to take too much liberty with it. Yeah. You didn't want to make a firm claim the, the adaptation of the, of the main character. Yeah. Was the claustrophobia stuff in the book? Do you remember? I think so. I think it's more a part of the book. Yeah. I mean, that would probably make sense. It's just like a weird, like, they try to do it in like one of the first scenes he's in an elevator and he's kind of acting weird and you're like, why is this guy acting weird in an elevator? And then I think because they thought maybe people would wonder that, he has a line about like, I'm claustrophobic in elevators or something. No, actually, they don't bring it up. I I, I don't think they bring it up immediately and it's like... Oh, it's just like, it's like... I assume that was the case and then we see it again like when he's stuck in the van and that's when he tells... Uh, I, he doesn't even actually they hold that off forever because it's, it's plane, right? Ian McKellen actually yeah. tells her after the plane ride because oh, he was surprised like, I'm surprised yeah like he knew that like yeah that's such a weird thing which is really because he if he's the mastermind behind this whole thing why did he know like why did he wait until now to have Robert Langdon move on it like right. there's a lot of weird chess pieces that don't it's the fridge logic thing where again like 
now that even a slight more time has passed since I've seen this movie, I'm liking it a little less. Again, I never right. said it was a good movie, but I, I had fun watching it. Yeah, there's some um, fun elements to it. But uh, to bring it back to Hanks, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think he he just doesn't have enough to work with in the movie. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a flat character. They, they bring him in to make him as round as he can be. But yeah, what I'm about... I'm so curious to... I, I would love to know what he thinks about <laughs> playing that character. I, I would... I mean, he's playing him, he's played him twice uh, after this, yeah. and uh, he's shooting again. Or I don't know if he's probably done shooting now, but uh, they have the new one coming out in October. But what about the hair? The hair is nuts because... Um, <laughs> It looks like a hairpiece, but it. Th- I mean, look. If you want a wig that keeps them guessing, uh, this is it because it's 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 either a really great wig, but not good enough to look like real hair, or it's just the weirdest haircut, like ever. It just it doesn't look like hair that he would ever grow in real. No, because he's got the very poofy. Vertical hair and right, like it wouldn't go. I almost think it would afro before it goes back and hangs, and it's not like he he got it straightened. Right. What's funny to me is like there's something about this character, and I don't even remember it being described that way. But it felt like they like you know it's like uh, oh you're making a Harry Potter movie. Well, Harry Potter's gotta have those glasses and the scar. Oh, Robert Langdon's gonna be a character in your movie. Well, he's gotta have his trademark like. Long, almost ponytailable, but not quite poof of a hair. Is that a thing in the book? I don't think so. I don't know why. Because it's such a weird, distinctive. Like, why would that ever come up in a book? Especially when the character is supposed to be so blank that you insert yourself. Right. Why would it be like, oh, but I've got my half mullet hair? It's mullety. It's weird, it, and that I think that might be the genius of this movie is that this is the worst hair Tom Hanks has ever had yeah. in any of his movies. But it's sure. the most memorable, maybe. Like because it's the worst. You because you see, Tom Hanks has been in so many different kinds of movies. But if you see this one frame of this movie, you know it's this <laughs> or Angels and this. Demons. Yeah, because they they I mean, and I think we said this before, but he's not even he doesn't even have that hair in the new movie. They they went with more of a classic close cut for Hanks. Great, yeah, that's what I want. I want classic Hanks. I know that's the best Hanks. But uh, this I I love that this exists because it's so weird. It's not good, but it's I like that it's weird. But I don't know what's going when on did with the hair. Come out again? Is this like was late nineties, two thousand six. Oh my! Because the book was two thousand three. Oh yeah, that's right. I said that. <laughs> uh, I was re- I literally dated when I was reading the book, and I'm like, when is late nineties? It does feel like that though. Two thousand six. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, let's let's move on. Uh, yeah. Audrey Tito. Huh. Uh, everybody loves her from Amelie, which is the right. movie everybody f- cites as their favorite foreign film because nobody has seen any foreign films besides sure. that. She's, and Shaun of the Dead. She's fantastic in it. She's, Shaun of the Dead is a foreign film. I guess I get that. That's my yeah. favorite foreign film. Okay. Uh, it's great. It's a great movie. Um, she's kind of blank in it also. Uh, yeah. I, I, they have very little play with. Again, I think this is mostly... I, despite it being a best-selling book... I think it's mostly a writing problem. And then, again, that's not necessarily necessarily blaming the book. Writing a screenplay is very different. And I don't want to blame Akiva specifically because writing a screenplay doesn't necessarily mean that's in the movie. Sure. We already did our whole, you can't bitch about people who do things that are amazing compared to 
But then let us bitch about them. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I I mean, I, 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 she's fine. I like her on screen. I don't... The thing with her is... I kind of saw the twist coming, but not in the fun, let's figure it out mystery way. And I don't know if that's what, just because... What do you consider to be the twist with her? Well, I, that she is the Jesus offspring of okay. one. Sure. Like, well, was there another twist I'm, I'm forgetting? No. I guess, like, I don't know if... It, it almost feels like that's not a twist because it's like a twist to her. But, <laughs> and, I mean, in, in the movie, nobody else knows this. I, except for maybe Ian McKellen because he knows everything. Right. But it's certainly Robert Langdon doesn't... I mean, he figures it out, but right. not until the very... And by that point, it's like, wait, we didn't know this? Right. It comes off... And I think that's more of a problem. Maybe it's... Again, I have no idea. Maybe it's better in the book, but... It's a problem when it's like, oh, we're talking about this thing and it's going to be one of our three characters in the book and we know we have to give Audrey to do something to do in this right. movie. She just, uh, yeah, it just, yeah, I agree. There's not much, like the best characters in the movie are these like insane caricatures of people uh, played by Paul Bettany or uh, or Alfred Molina uh uh, the the Silas Ian dude, McKellen. yeah, who just uh, whips himself, and it's like, whoa, this is a movie. And yeah, it's pretty gnarly. I have, I, I, I would watch a whole movie that follows what Jean Reno's character does during this movie. And I like that he gets a little redemption at the end. He's not evil. He just had the wrong information. Yeah, he's just <laughs> he's just trying to do his job. I mean, he's a little corrupted, obviously. But yeah, but he's just trying to do his job. Yeah, as a corrupt, as a corrupt Parisian, weird official, cloaked society official. Um, I have. I, I wish I had more things to say about Audrey Tateau because she's she's good. She's just. I, I want to see. I mean, this movie made me wonder how good of an actress she is because I didn't see the very long engagement, which uh, I heard she was very good in. But Amelie, because I don't speak the language, it's kind of just like Manic Pixie Dream Girl with a narrator. Right, but I mean, at the very least, she's the main character. Yeah, and I love Amelie, but it's it's a lot about like... It is hard to tell in a foreign film. I mean, you can tell from the, uh, the, you know, the body language, the movement, but the the dialogue, it's obviously... Yeah, it's a little different. Um, And then in this, she's just kind of, ugh. Like, kind of just, not bad, just kind of like... Going through the motions? Uninteresting. Yeah, I feel like everyone was just kind of like, hey, cool paycheck, great. Yeah. And no one stopped to be like, wait a second. Why are we doing this? It's a, it's amazing to me. That's the other thing is this movie must have done well enough. It was the second highest grossing movie that year. What? Yeah, it was right behind Dead Man's Chest. Oh my goodness. It was huge. Um, but, but even at the time, I remember people saying it wasn't very good. Wow. Which yeah. is why it's gone to have two sequels. Yeah, that's incredible to me. <laughs> it's incredible to me that, like, like for example, uh, like, Guillermo del Toro is having such a hard time making Pacific Rim 2. I know. Ah, I love Pacific Rim. is so... Holy shit, that movie's fun. I love that movie. I watched that movie, like, I was homesick one day and I just, like, rented it, not really knowing much about it, and... Hot damn, that's a fun movie. Oh, you didn't get to see it in the theater? No. That moment that where cool. the fucking thing grows wings, I lost it. It's it's just really fun. It's so great. So this yeah, and this has two sequels. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, Fred Molina. 
as people call him who are friends of his. Like uh, you. I wish, man. Oh, my <laughs> God. Um, he's fine. I mean, I guess, I, like, let's go through the actors. Like, Jean Renault. Fine, not in the movie a ton. I just like him a bunch. The, the only other one I really gonna have something to, I have something yeah, to say let's about, talk about Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen, because yeah. it sounds like you don't give a shit for his performance in this movie. Well, I mean, he's just he's playing such an unreal character. Like again, more problem with the writing. But again, is it yeah. more, that unreal when this guy has played a wizard that comes back from the dead and also a dude who can control? Metal, of course, that makes more sense because you understand his motivations. Yeah, those characters felt like they the characters had meat on them. They were real. It was just an un, unreal yeah. world. I, I get it. No, I, I totally understand. But here's what I have to say in defense mm-hmm. of Ian McKellen. Okay. The time I kind of saw this movie was probably back right after it came out on DVD the first time. Okay. Uh, so 2006 range. Um, after it was in theaters, and I was away at a girlfriend's... Um, at the time, uh, her family's cabin, and they were all watching... They don't, they don't have the cabin anymore. No, I don't even know if they exist anymore. Um, they were watching the the Da Vinci Code, and we were in the other room kind of making out. Okay. And I remember hearing the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, I could, just through hearing it, it's like, oh, it's going to be Magneto's the bad guy. And that was the only oh, thing... Like, as soon as he appears, you're like, all right, wait, who... Yeah, he's, he's yeah. totally the bad guy. And I remember that scene where he goes on and on, taking forever. And those were the two things I remembered from the movie. And cut to today, and I'm watching this thing, and I'm like, about half, half an hour in, maybe 40 minutes, I'm like, oh, maybe Ian McKellen is in the sequel? Maybe it was Angels and Demons they were watching? I don't mm-hmm. remember. And then he shows up, and it's like, oh, okay, he wasn't, I'm not crazy. Yeah. And he goes on to do this, like, I was like, wait, he's the bad guy, right? And his whole over-the-top performance as, like, this super friendly dude, I bought it. He tricked me. I knew he was the bad guy. Really? And then I totally blinked. No, wait, I remembered it wrong. Like, and it it totally was because when he he's super over-the-top when Tom Hanks shows up and, they're, and he's doing his whole spiel about, mm-hmm. oh, Mary Magdalene and whatnot. I think that works both in... In the universe, because it's like, of course he's playing it up because he's trying right. to be... Right, and Which makes perfect sense. He gets a little, still a little hammy at the end when he's like, oh, we have to find out, and he's yelling at him from the cop car. That's insane. And then, like, the time when he kills... Um, his, his driver? The Yeah, the driver. Like, that also is like... The vision. Paul Bettany. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just a little... Yeah, that was like... That was the moment where I was like, wait, so this... So I was right? I think, I think, I mean, again. So, so a lot of our issues are the story. It's more the story, because his performance made me buy it. Okay. Uh, I and, guess, and when I don't it, disagree. When it came out, it, or when it was revealed that, no, he is the bad guy, it felt more like a, ch- a cheat than a, or yeah. not, maybe not a cheat, but it was like, oh, this is the truth? I think that's, that's kind of going back to my issue with the, the second half of the movie. Everything that should be a reveal feels like, a fuck you. <laughs> like, it just feels like, oh, well, all right. Like, it, yeah, like you're pulling the rug out from from under the reality or you're insulting the audience. I understand that's a whole part of 
Like, this is the genre. This is why we're going, because we want this, like, no, wait, it's this, no, wait, it's this. But, like, when... But this, the, but this is no, this is no Ocean's Eleven. This is no Usual Suspects. This is no. not, it's not, a, like, there are movies like that where the whole, you know, it was Kaiser Sose, the whole, like, what verbal, like, the whole time, oh my God, like, that's amazing. Like, that kind of stuff, it has to be brilliant. And this was written. This, this yeah. was the the B minus version of that, yes. and thus it suffers by comparison so much more because the thing it's supposed to do is make you feel smart, or or make you totally surprised, and instead it kind of makes you feel like oh so of course she's the Jesus girl. I'm gonna say it. I bet a lot of dumb people love this movie. <laughs> I think you're right. I think that's why it's done so successful. Yeah. It's probably the kind of movie where it's smart enough. That you feel smart for watching it, but you're yeah. not actually because it's figuring out that, that again. That's my biggest problem with it is it doesn't let you play its game. It makes yeah. you watch the oh, game. That makes me angry. So in that sense, I don't really respect what the movie is doing, despite being the guy who's here to defend the movie. Yeah, this is a tough. It's a tough. It's a tough one for you know what I mean. Look, I love hate this movie, but I I think that I feel a little guilty in that. It's not the best Hanks, and he's so good that it makes me sad. It's it's true. He, he probably got an awesome payday for this. He probably took his family. I mean, look, okay, you gotta imagine. He deserves a payday every once in a while. Of course. I would be fine if he took more of them. And, like, I would be totally, I would still love him as much if he was in more shitty movies like this. But you also have to imagine, like. <laughs> well, he is, actually. He is, I know. But, like, this movie, Tom Hanks probably makes this movie. First of all, he gets to go, go to go to Europe. He probably takes his Amazing. family to Europe. Hang out with Audrey Tatone and Ian yeah. McKellen. Ian like, that was the best part of the movie was he seeing these two go. Those people, like, that's fun. And then he probably, all the money he made off of that, he probably donated a chunk of it to charity and probably bought all kinds of people in his life nice things and mm-hmm. or invested it in getting to make a movie that he really was excited about. I'm glad this movie exists. <laughs> but I, do, I still don't think it's very good. I, yeah, I like, it's fine that it exists. It's just... I think it's a problem when it's, uh, again, like, yeah, I, can I really respect it if it's all it's doing is it's pretending to be smart? Yeah. Again, I, I, I'm i not making, maybe the book, uh, maybe the book is smart because it actually. No, it's not. Okay. Yeah, the book, uh, the it, book well, is. It's, but but there's, a, there's a place in the world for pulpy. Yeah. Smart-esque. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's. I'm not. I was gonna say Frasier, but Frasier's actually really smart, really good. Uh, what's a show or, or like a movie that feels uh, smart? Oh, that feels smart but isn't smart? Yeah. Because uh, that's what this is. Um, and I think you're probably right in that, like, the less... Uh, but yeah. the, the people who don't realize you can actively watch movies, yeah, that's who this is for. Because they still want well, that aha moment. So here's another way of spinning it. Because I was just thinking of, of some other Ron Howard movies and not wanting to sound insulting. Um, because I think, like, that point of view is in some ways, like, a really elitist, really, like, artsy uh, kind of feeling. And I, th- I think that... I agree with what you're saying, though. Mm-hmm. But I think that's... And I, I realize that I'm incredibly artsy-fartsy and elitist. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's fine. I think I'm realizing over the last, like, year especially, like, I'm kind of an elitist about a lot of things, too. Uh, but so the, the other side of that coin is, like, this is enjoyable for all your friends and cousins and family and, like... That sounds so condescending. <laughs> it's but it's not though. Like like like, do movies have to really push the boundary and 
be innovative and like do all movies have to be art or can they just be whatever? I, I mean that that comes down to a fundamental reason of what is the purpose of story or maybe what is the purpose yeah. of art. I think it should be. I think it should push people. I think it's too, yeah. That's the whole reason we have stories. Is it's the way we learn. It's the way we have we grow empathy. Obviously, entertainment is a huge part of it, and that's usually how we kind of packaged in the the, yeah. the spoonful of sugar sort of thing. What yeah. are we to maybe to pull to give to give some movie the movie a little bit more defense? Let's talk about maybe the last topic. And what is this movie trying to say? Does it have anything to say? And one of the questions I wanted to pose was, is there any evidence of the divine in this movie. Like, it makes the case that Jesus really existed and she's really of his bloodline, but they don't necessarily... They leave a couple hints, but it's not... Does it give us definitive answer of whether or not that means Jesus is God? Mm. And I pulled out three potential moments. Okay. They've got... They explain away he's lost his claustrophobia because of her touch. Uh, she healed him when he she puts her hands on his head, and then he doesn't have these fears anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the calming touch of a beautiful woman. <clears throat> it, yeah. <laughs> Could be that. <clears throat> Good point. I would feel better if Audrey Tateau put her hands on my head. Yeah, you're being comforted by someone. But but sure. Yeah, uh, yeah but, you're right. That is a point that that's made. A, that's a textual evidence. Uh, there's the blood at the end that turns into the trident? Or... It, it's basically he's shaving, and uh, it, the movie's over, and then he's shaving, and then a little b- splat of blood hits the a specific shape in the sink, and he's like, "Wait a minute, I got it wrong!" And then he goes to the prime meridian, uh, ro- the rose line. Oh, I didn't get. Wait, but does that have to do with it being a, a trident, or he's just like, "Oh yeah, blood is red." I well, I like, mean, the- I remember it looked like a specific shape, and I thought it would look like a trident, but they had because in his first scene he mentions a trident as being one of the symbols, mm. although it's for Poseidon. I don't know why that would be the symbol. So it just kind of happens to remind him of. It might be, and it might, and I'm probably butchering this. It probably looks like something else. I just thought it looked like a trident, mm-hmm. but it jogs his memory, and then he figures out where she's really buried. Mm-hmm. So the blood taking a specific shape—that's definitely that could be some sort of. Divine intervention, mm-hmm. but the the moment that stood out the most for me, and the one I'm not, I'm completely confused by, is when they're held at gunpoint by Paul Bettany, the driver, mm-hmm. uh, and he's about to shoot them, and then just a bird flies, and it's this weird jump cut, and then he misses. He's like startled by a bird that's maybe ten feet a- above him, and then he like completely misses the gun, and they have like nineteen feet to clear before they're behind a corner or something, and they just get away super conveniently. Oh. Now, okay. is that because they're in a church, and it's like, oh, God's helping them, yeah. there's in that, and helping them escape, or is it because the driver's actually working for the, Ian McKellen, he took him out, and this is another double cross to get them to the, where he wants them to be, but why would they do that so anyway? So you're taking a lot of moments that feel like sloppy filmmaking and suggesting that they are an argument for divine intervention. Yes, my <laughs> question is, is this divine intervention or lazy screenwriting? Because um, th- th- I could actually see both. Especially, I, with- I love the idea of this movie and this story. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I like it so much is like, you know, it references all of these different things. And like, you can go back and look at all these things in history and art history that support the conspiracy theory of this book. I could totally see the Catholic Church being like, oh, we don't want to share this power. That's what, 
Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And when the when the movie came out or when the book came out, there was a lot of stuff from the Catholic Church mm-hmm. about like, well, hold on a second. And and I think that that's one thing that's so incredibly well done about the story, more in the book but also in the film, where it takes real things that happened and it weaves its own narrative in between them to make a conspiracy theory out of it. I think that's really fun. Um, oh, my God. I just realized this, the, the other Tom Hanks movie, this one has the most in common with besides its sequels by that description is Forrest Gump. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's insane. That also explains why general audiences love this movie. Yeah. It's a that thing I know. And here's what it really means. I feel smart. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. It, it, Forrest Gump's (laughs) a conspiracy into, uh, all of Western art history. I do to get again to go kind of back to like, is there something of value in the movie? What's it trying to say? I do kind of appreciate the sense in that theoretically the characters are by discovering the truth they're on the side of like taking away this weird, uh, sexist, classist, mm-hmm. racist power, mm-hmm. uh, patriarchy source. Mm-hmm. So that's right, but then they kind of end the movie with like, no, we gotta keep the truth hidden. So it's like, what's and and he kind of ends it on like, what's important is what you believe. So it's like, no, it's about faith. Right, that's anyway. also super unsatisfying. It's very unsatisfying because it's also very muddy because it's like we're fighting for this, but then we we kind of just back away from right. it. You can't have your cake and eat it too in this kind of a thing. Although that's what, that's what uh, they do. Ron Howard and Brian Grazer do that in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I feel bad because I, lo- I, I love those guys. Yeah. I just... Splash is amazing. Go listen to the Splash podcast. Watch, watch yeah. Splash. One of her best. Uh, one of his best. I, Grinch is good. I think I like Grinch better than this. I take that back from what I said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Grinch is way better. Maybe... Uh, and I... I want to like Ron Howard more than I seem to like most of his movies. Same. Yeah. And I would I would be mortified if he ever I mean clearly I'm covering my ass for this reason, but if he ever somehow found his way to this podcast and listened to it, I would feel awful because I feel like I'm I've not seen all of his work and I feel like the work I've seen I'm just like cutting it down. I think I think Ron Howard could take a little little bit of heat. Yeah. I think he's fine. All right. <laughs> but, but seriously, you're, you're great, Ronnie. <laughs> um, yeah. Where, so where do we come down on this movie? Uh, Forrest Gump of the, Jesus? It's, yeah, it's the, it's, it's, it's the Forrest Gump of Jesus in art history. Um, it's, here's what you should do, is you should watch the first, this movie is an hour and 49 minutes. That's very long. It's nearly an hour longer than it should be, at least. And there, um, there's an hour uh, of it is just spent with yeah. Ian McKellen telling you the, the trailer that you watched. I think that you what you should do is uh, uh, ask a friend or a significant other before you watch this movie, like, hey, um, come get me in an hour and a half and let's go grab a bite or something. <laughs> and watch the movie and then uh, forget to watch the end of it. Like, just watch <laughs> the first half to two-thirds and be like, oh yeah, I never finished that movie, but it was like pretty fun. And you'll have a good feeling about it. Um, and don't finish it. I think I'm gonna agree. My my take is, I love Hanks. I'm glad, happy everybody got a paycheck here. I feel like it's not doing enough to warrant its own existence. It's yeah. just kind of 
cookie cutter, let's let's make something that feels smart, but doesn't really try to do anything with it. Right. And it's 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 the material here. And again, this yeah. is the book seems by all account your account. Um, it seems to be doing the exact same lazy thing where it's like yeah. it's got all this material to even if it's complete bullshit and it's not trying to actually advocate a conspiracy, it has this material to really say something yeah. profound. And it just completely falls flat. It's yeah, not it's a lot sure-footed. Of and if you want the best that this movie has to offer, seriously watch the South Park Easter <laughs> holiday it's really special. Fun. I saw that recently and I was like, wow, it it's Almost exactly this movie. It's so great. and It's really funny. I never even realized it was parodying this movie until I watched this movie today. And oh, yeah. It's beat for beat it's in, so in some great. senses. And that, and that, because in South Park, you don't care when like the Ian McKellen character shows up and tells them everything for no reason. Right, right. Plus, Jesus actually shows up. It's great. Oh, yeah. because Yeah, you can do that with animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in case anyone cared, I just want to real quick tell my Brian Grazer story. It's kind of a letdown, but in case anyone was like, oh, yeah, well, they never mentioned that thing. Well, Brian Grazer's going to want to know who you are because he's listening to the Well, he should already know who I am because I made a point of telling him. Uh, <laughs> he was one of the speakers at my film school graduation, and um, I was sitting next to two friends of mine, uh, Justin Michael, who I, I was on a sketch group with at the time and do a lot of comedy stuff with. He's, he's the other host of Before You Were Funny. Um, and, uh, this other friend of ours, Alex Garcia, who had been in a bunch of our videos and we were like, you know what? We got Brian Glazer, Grazer here. Um, let's, we're all going to go like get our diploma, shake his hand, shake the other guy's hand. I forget who it was now. Oh, it was, uh, uh, um, I think it was Eisner. Michael Eisner? Yeah. I think it was, I, it was, wow. it was either Eisner or Iger. Um, oh, Bob Iger? Yeah. And one of the Disney kids. One of the Disney, you know, suits. Uh, and then Brian Grazer. And I had this idea of, like, when we meet him, uh, when, we sh- when we shake their hands, let's look in their eyes and say, Tremendousor.com, because that was the website for our sketch group. <gasps> because, like, if one person did that, you'd be like, the fuck was that? And you wouldn't remember what they said. But if three people did it in a row, you'd be like the fuck is this thing? Like, you'd probably look it up. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. But just the curiosity <laughs> gap, I think you would have to look it up. So uh, uh, we talked about it. We all agreed, like, yes, that's what we're going to do. We get up there, and um, I went first, and I did it. And I, I, like, held his hand for uncomfortably long, and I looked into his eyes. He was like, congratulations. And I just said, tremendousword.com, as if I was, like, as if I had traveled there from the future and was like assaulting him with like, you must remember this one thing. Like I really <laughs> said it and it made him uncomfortable. And then I said it to uh, um, Eisner. And I remember as I was walking away from them, Eisner like went over, to, like kind of leaned over to Brian Grazer and was like, what was that? <laughs> like they were like, what the fuck just happened? But then my two friends didn't do it. Of course they didn't do so it. So it was just me. Uh and they probably thought I was some kind of, like, psychopath, which, arguably, in that moment, I kind of was. Like, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe I That's did That's insane. It it's, it's, something, it's something an insane person would do. Uh, <laughs> like, even if they looked at it, like, what would that do? It's like, oh, these guys are really fun. Let's put them in a movie. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what, the, what the hope would be. Like, let's get them. Like, somewhere in my mind, <laughs> it was like... Oh, they, you know, they'd call his secretary and be like, I don't know what it is, but look up Tremendousword.com and or tell me about it. Or he would look it up on his, like, very brand new smartphone, maybe, if he had one at that time. Uh, and then 
And then what? Like, put us... <laughs> I, offer us a deal or something? Like, I don't know... I don't know what the outcome was. You guys could have been the uh, the London cops in this movie. Yeah, we could have been. So if you want more from Jacob Reed, check yeah. out Tremendousword.com. Oh my god, I don't even know what's up there anymore. Because <laughs> uh, we haven't released videos. Oh, I think we maybe we put like some of our best stuff up there. Um, is that are we at the plugs section? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Go ahead, plug away. I think uh, we've we've said all we can say about the Da Vinci Code. I, think and... any, I don't think there's anything more to say. That yeah. I mean, that's the problem with the movie. There's it doesn't have enough to say for us to talk about it for any longer. And yet, it's it's almost three hours long. Um, and this podcast is getting longer by the minute. We'll be back for for Angels and Demons at some point. But, yeah. Uh, but Jacob, it's been a blast Thanks, talking man. to you. Where, where can they find you besides uh, TremendousOrd.com? Oh, my gosh. Uh, so uh, Before You Were Funny is the, the, the podcast I, I do. It's on um, Feral Audio. If you, go, if, you, if you look up on iTunes, Before You Were Funny, and it's... Um, He's from a big boy podcast. It's, it's a fun podcast. Yeah, we've had some cool guests. It's, um, it's, it's a really fun podcast to do, and I think it's really interesting if you, if you ever are interested in, like, kind of inside baseball stuff in the world of comedy or writing uh, or want to be a comedy writer. It's it's basically... If you're the kind of person who didn't like this movie, it's perfect for you. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, so what it is is uh, my friend Justin and I, we invite uh, some of our favorite comedians and friends and a lot of people from uh, the UCB community, but also, you know, more famous people uh, and, you know, writers, actors, whatever. And we have them send us uh, some of their earliest material... And then we uh, we read through it like a, a table read on the show, but just this awful, early, embarrassing stuff. And then we kind of talk about, like, we read it for what it is, which is funny because it's bad. But we also um, kind of talk about why they thought it was funny then and how uh, comedy tastes evolve. And, and sometimes it gets a little, I mean, at, at, the, at the most surface level, it's like really silly and dumb and fun. Um, but occasionally it has like little twinkles of, of, of um, introspection that I think are really interesting. And uh, if you're in the L.A. area, UCB? Oh, yeah. Go see Bangering. Uh, Friday nights at 8 o'clock at UCB Franklin. It's a real fun show. I've been doing it for six years with some just some of the most talented people I've ever met. And it's great. Also, this plug section is like, for sure, people are still not listening. This right? is the longest plug I think we've ever yeah, had. We, we like went in and out of conversations. Maybe you should just edit it all out and just <laughs> just use like a little snippet. Uh, well, do, do you have a Twitter, or have you finally any, oh anything there? Anything else anyone wants? Anything to else you want to? Plug? I'm on Twitter at Jacob Reed. Uh, <laughs> I have an Instagram. It's Typography Nerd. I oh post. my god, such a nerd! I yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I um. This is yeah. good. We're recreating the feeling of the movie by having the end of the podcast just, be just rambly. Crawl. I had such a long day today too. So I'm, yeah, it's like <laughs> three false endings. I'm like totally out of it. Um, for a weird, like for no reason, I want to plug a web series I made called Hugo to the Movies, where uh, we compare everything to the movie Hugo. It feels like a weird kind of tangentially related to this podcast. Uh, there's 12 episodes. We really it, any Tom Hanks movies in there? Uh, I don't. think think so. Uh, not interested though. Yeah, I know, right? Never mind. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I have nothing else. I'm sorry. No, I, no, no. I, this I, is I great. This is great. I made the end of this. That I think that's why I did it, is to make you feel like you were on board at first, and then it just got kind of like a little rambly and preachy and was telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what this movie's like. Yeah. Um, well, to bring it back, now that we've <laughs> gotten rid of the Audrey Toteau of the podcast, uh, I'll end it real quick. Uh, follow the show, Tom Hanks Pod. 
on Twitter. Uh, email us. What did you think of the Da Vinci Code? Do you think it's smart and we're being condescending assholes? Um, and what of Jacob's million plugs did you find the most enjoyable? Tell us at TomXPod at gmail.com. I'm at Elvis Kunish across all social media platforms. Uh, next week, I think we're talking about the great Buck Howard. Do you think Tom Hanks is just Tom Hanks at Gmail? Oh my god, I'm gonna try that! I think it could be. Hanks for listening. Tom Hanks, we fell in love with you, Tom Hanks. Just like so many do deeply Because you made us smile And you're great on screen style So that's why we give thanks Cause you've got a friend in Tom Hanks